ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is from the Conduct Dungeon Middle uh, podcast and all over the place um, if you're looking for information about sports law and the issues that affect uh, sports from a legal perspective. Dan, welcome back, my man. How are you doing? I'm good, Dave. Uh, pleasure. Hope you had a happy and healthy new year. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I've had the luxury over the last couple weeks to, uh, I've, been, I've been telling you, nothing's official, but in the market for home ownership. So big things in, in 2021. Absolutely. And, and professionally too, um, it, things have just been going really well. Uh, I, just, I see you everywhere and there's always something else that you got going. And that's really awesome. The, the good news, um, you know, and, and I, I try to, you know, p- promote it every time I do it, but um, you know, 2020, I spoke a lot on different radio stations, uh, you know, about various sports law topics. And then what had kind of developed toward the end of 2020 and now into 2021, uh, law students, law schools, colleges, they just, you know, uh, pre-law students, they just want to hear about the path. Uh, and, and I, at least from what I gather, I think the consensus is that being a lawyer is very boring. And then, you know, sometimes there are lawyers that deal with sports. So that could be somewhat interesting and maybe could lead someone's uh, child into a path of law because there is some nexus of sport. So that's, um, you know, so I'm speaking at four schools in the month of February, uh, including Dave, this is not public yet, but I'm speaking at uh, the University of Nebraska, which you know is very near and dear. Yes, yes, you are an honorary Cornhusker um, uh, these days. So that's cool. Um, You'll be welcomed like uh, Caesar returning uh, to Rome. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, well, well, via, via Zoom. So they're like the grapes that they'll throw at me. They're all Zoom grapes. Right. Um, let's, let's start with something uh, that's kind of fun, but also has legal ramifications. Um, EA Sports announced that they're getting back in the college football game. And they have not put out a game since uh, 2013. It's been about almost, and it'll be about 10 years before, you know, by the time this thing gets released. They're just announcing it. Um, it's probably another, at least another year away. Um the whole issue with paying players um, last time, the likeness is the O'Bannon case, which kind of basically ended uh, EA's participation in, in this. We started to kind of see them dip their toe back in it. They did it with Madden and we've seen 2K start to bring college basketball um, teams back into it, but they're directly avoiding mentioning players. They don't name coaches. They're trying to be very obscure but part of the appeal of the college game, the whole thing was knowing who the players were. It's, it's, it's a delicate balance. How, do, how does the NCAA, which certainly wants to work around having to deal with the financial part of it, and EA, which doesn't want to have to pay players, how, are they, how do they work around this? So a couple things. And obviously, um, you know, this is near and dear to, I'm sure, both of us. The NCAA series was my favorite, uh, you know, my favorite game system, not – or my favorite series, and not necessarily because of the gameplay. The gameplay was cool. You know, you kicked a field goal, and then obviously, like, shake if you're in the home field. But, you know, it, there's the gameplay is similar to Madden. But what I think everyone fell in love with on the NCAA level is the dynasty component, yes. the campus component that you're recruiting. So I, I'm getting at something that's kind of interesting. And then, you know, maybe as a personal note, I play this game on my phone. It's a simulation-based game called Campus Dynasty. And it's basically college basketball. Um, you can't say the names of any of the teams. 
But, you know, for example, like uh, Nebraska, right? There's a school that's red and white that's based in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they call it Lincoln and they're the Cornhuskers. So for me, and this is getting to, to your point and, and one that I think that EA Sports had to think about, took me a while, but I edited, you know, all the teams that I saw fit. I went, you know, Norfolk State and, you know, Wagner College, and I went and it probably took me way too long that I want to admit, but, but I went and I made it. the edits. We've all done it. We've all it. done it. <laughs> and if you're really smart, Dave, smarter than you and I, you can download one of these fancy mods off of the internet mm -hmm. and you can basically recreate it, which people have done, you know, and this is, I think, relevant to the discussion for uh, the better part of uh, how many years? Eight, seven, eight years. People have, and crazy people, mine, and I want to give them credit because they're the good kind of crazy, but they've redone, they've done in their own sense, all of college football every year and people can download what they call mods and basically overlay that onto the Denard Robinson version of NCAA football 2014. And it's almost like they're playing the same game, the players and everything, you know, so people have been doing that for years. So, um, you know, what, what I'm kind of getting at is a, there's a world where you don't have to pay the players, right? You can create a version of EA sports, which seems to be the plan and EA, they're going to call it college. Uh, I think it's EA sports, college football. You have the schools, um, and then you just have players that don't resemble any of the players, but just with the way that video games have worked and, you know, my little stupid game I play on my phone, Campus Dynasty, you know, people want to be so inclined. They could make the edits to the players, to the players' names, to their to their likenesses. And then, you know, it's almost like the blood is not on their hands. Now, it's not on the game developers' hands. If the play, if the users like myself want to make those changes, you know, who, who are they to say, right? I can create Dan Lust. I can create David Grubb, you know, who's very good and he plays very hard at the post. He throws the elbows in the post. <laughs> you, you can make those changes. Um, and in a legal sense, you know, uh, there's, there's probably be some type of battle, but you don't have to pay the players, right? Because you are not using their name and likeness to do it. That's something that the users have done themselves. And. And that workaround has been there on all all levels, whether it's um, like NBA 2K, where you see old franchises logos put up, their uniform designs replicated by, by users and posted and, and things like that. And like you said, going all the way back to Tech Mobile, Super Tech Mobile, when you could first edit names and you could change, you could create your own players and put their names and specs, baseball stars, which was, you know, Super Nintendo, where you could go back and you could create, you could put the, whatever name you wanted for your franchise. You could put in the players that you wanted and customize them and make them look as close as. So, yeah, it's it's something that I think is not as hard as people may think to fill the workaround. And I, it's just, yeah, I, I think there will be players who look for it, who wait for any type of inconsistency. Um, but I'm sure there are legal right. teams on both and, sides who will be involved in that. Well, this and, and the reason we and this might seem like a simple point, but the reason Dave and I bring this up because the NCAA really was walking a fine line for many years. Um, and I remember my the first iteration of NCAA football I played. I don't remember what year it was, probably 2003, 2002. Um, but I remember uh, there was a quarterback that played for Ole Miss, and he was QB number ten. And he looked a lot like Eli Manning. And, you know, it was very – all I had to do was put on Eli Manning, right? Um, and uh, the way the Ed O'Bannon case turned back in the day, there was a player who uh, – I think there was a legend team, whatever it was, and the player had Ed O'Bannon's number, had his height, had his weight, had his, you know, skin complexion. It looked like Ed O'Bannon. The only thing that was missing was the name. So in a really fancy way, right, if, if you want to just say, what is EA Sports doing differently this time? They're just making the attributes completely random, right? It's not going to say QB number 10, and it's the starting quarterback's going to coincidentally be number 10. So they're getting a little bit smarter. Now, Dave, there's a separate question as 
right? W- why now, right? Nothing. What what has changed from Ed, o- Ed O'Bannon's case? You know, at this point, um, I'm trying to, I'm going to date myself, but I think it was probably 2014. It was right around the same time frame. What has changed between 2014 and 2020 when they always could have done this? Yes. Right? And uh, I think you and I know the answer, but um, NCA is really not doing that much different. They're using the schools. But they're just going to randomize, you know, if you have a really good quarterback, the school is going to have a good running back and you might be white, you might be black. But that, that's the, the uh, that's minutia that they're going to be changing. Um, let's go to the more serious uh, case dealing with the NCAA now, um, NCAA versus uh, Sean Alston et al. Um, that is a class action lawsuit filed by players against the NCAA, basically saying that the NCAA has been a monopoly and that it has violated antitrust uh, laws. Can you first just give a quick primer on why they were able to successfully argue this in California in the Ninth Circuit and how it got to the Supreme Court? Because this is not something typically that the Supreme Court has gotten involved with, with the NCAA in particular. It's been, what, almost 40 years since they've dealt with a a, um, case similar to this. Yeah, so I'm going to try to keep it in as um, you know as simplistic terms as we can for purposes of, of uh, our discussion because it's it's important for obviously sports fans, college college athletes, and, and anything under the sun. So the update that that um, you know brings us to the table, um, you know, th- there was a decision in the uh, in the federal court in California um, that was uh, appealed, and this wasn't so recent. I think it was about a year ago or sometime. Um, you know, so what what had happened recently, and this was toward the end of 2020. The Supreme Court agreed to hear an appeal. Um, this was something that the NCA filed. They wanted to challenge the uh, decision that was at the Ninth Circuit. Um, and, you know, now we have a case that's on college sports um, at the Supreme Court, at the highest court of our country that hasn't uh, talked or, or reached any decision on college sports since I believe the 80s. There's a case, uh, it's, it's Board of Regents. So um, that's number one, that the Supreme Court is touching that case. They're going to be hearing arguments uh, on this case, oral arguments, which can be really fancy. And, you know, I don't know, maybe in the Zoom world, we can watch those live and they could be mass, mass accessible. Um, but what happened on Monday is that briefs in this case were filed. So we're going to have some concept of what both sides are, are going to be arguing. I think it's like 130 pages of legal briefs that were filed. And by no means have I read all of them. Um, but, uh, you know, I have, I have an idea of the arguments that are going to be made um, and really how this could change college sports. So um, what's on the table is, topic that we've spoke about uh, for, for a number of years, right? The, the ability to pay college athletes and the ability for athletes to get, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, I guess, uh, money beyond just a pure scholarship, whether that's expenses and reimbursements. Um, but you're, you're walking in a, towards a world, uh, we're not quite there, uh, where this decision could decide whether athletes can just get literally paid to, to go to school. This case, and we can kind of speak about the specifics, but this case is essentially going to center on um, whether uh, there should be a cap on expenses that athletes should make. So obviously uh, every athletes, you know, get a full ride to school, but there has been some question as to what else they can get. Can they get reimbursements for laptops? Can they get reimbursements for secondary things that are related to school, academic prizes? Um, whether uh, athletes and athletes alone should receive a cap on those, we'll say ad- additional um, expenses. So. Um, you know, that's that's really what's on the table. And that that case that you're talking about, the, the Board of Regents case, NCA lost that case. Um, and that basically worked out great for the NCA in the long run. It allowed college sports to explode. Well, there in this case, the one of the main arguments that is being made is that the NCA is using their argument from the, the, the decision in their loss 
that there is a clear difference between college and pro athletes to continue to define what student athlete is. How difficult is that to use a case, use precedent in a case you lost previously to your advantage? It's something. This is what made the NCAA kind of the, the TV behemoth it was, or you know, it, it is. So I don't remember a time like this, but I know on College Football Saturdays, I can turn on any number of channels and there will be college football on it, be it uh, CBS, NBC, ABC, you know, any number of sports networks. The Big Ten has their own network. There was a decision at some point in college football where, you know, before, legitimately before I was born, I'm not sure if it was even before you were born, but probably was. I mean, it's back in the 50s and 60s. You're not that old, Dave. No, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> um, so, no, so so they, they had made a decision. It was essentially going to be, there would be one highlight game a week and there was a, a cap on how many games um, you know, could be on television for college football. So, you know, certain schools and said, well, you know, we're the University of Texas. We should be on television on national games much more than this. We're, we're a big deal. So uh, a certain amount of schools had kind of band together to kind of say, hey, we, we want to sep- organize our TV deals separately from the NCAA. And the NCAA, I guess, was making decisions who would be in the spotlight game and when they would be in it. So these college football teams said, that's not really fair that you get to make that decision. We're going to create our own TV network beyond you. And uh, I, I know I wrote an article on this way back when, but uh, the NCA basically said, if you create your own television network, and these were big schools at the time, it was Oklahoma, Georgia, you know, some of the top schools in the country back then. Um, and they said, well, if you guys create your own TV deals, you're banned from the, the NCA. You're not going to be a part of our NCA championship. So um, there has always been a conversation, and this is why it's, it's going to come up. And this is why the Board of Regents case is always going to come up in this case, no matter what, even, even though the NCA lost. It's the question of antitrust um, limitations, antitrust preventions. So what these schools were arguing back then um, is that the NCA and the, uh, the NCA can't can't restrict these schools from going out and getting separate TV deals. So it allowed a, a limited version to get around this antitrust prevention. But um, there's a comment, um, you know, it, it, there's there's language in that decision, even though the NCA, uh, you know, lost that case that allows them to have some uh, some. Uh, we'll say some violations of antitrust law, if it's done, you know, to protect the student body, to protect, uh, you know, um, athletes' rights. So that's that's why we're kind of here. That's why the NCAA and, and both sides are going to cite to that opinion. But beyond that, I mean, it's the last case that's gone to the Supreme Court on college football law in 30 years. So that's going to be a very relevant case. You're going to hear that if we do have these Zoom oral arguments. Court of Regents is going to be brought up early and often, as they say. Yeah, and all 11 of the FBS conferences had to uh, submit as part of this brief as well. Um, why in particular are the conferences being part, brought in as part of the case? Because they are member institutions of the NCAA. You know, what, what is the importance of their role in this case? I mean, you know, at a, at, I'll say at a high level, and, uh, you know, I've just been reading up a lot on this. There's there's a crazy world, and I know we've talked about this in the past, but, I mean, these dates are now coming up, so they're important right. to just, just remember. Um, I, I kind of thought there would be more school, more states that did it, but back in, you know, now I'm, now I'm getting that the date's messed up, but it's November 2019, so this is pre, pre-COVID. It was a couple months before COVID. California, um, you know, Gavin Newsom and LeBron James, they went on the shop, and he signed into law. California's fair pay to play, which uh, essentially is said that California stu- athletes that are based in colleges in California could make money off their name, image, and likeness. And it's going to be some type of an entrepreneurship license. It wouldn't matter. You know, you're not going to get paid from the school, but basically the athletes could go out and if they could get an endorsement from Gatorade or Nike or 
whatever, any, any type of separate entity. There's some limitations, but they could do it. So that didn't go into effect until, uh, it does not go into effect until 2023. So that kind of set the table um, where these senators and politicians across the country said, hey, there is this interesting bipartisan scenario where it would make sense for, you know, if I want to get reelected and to, you know, show people I like college sports, I'm going to make a bill like this. So this popped up in states across the country from Iowa to New York um, to Florida, which Florida for purposes of this is going to be a very key player as we head into uh, the next couple of months. Florida passed a version of this. Uh, it's, you know, it doesn't matter what the name is, but it's it, it, the timing is more important. July of 2021 is when athletes that are based in the state of Florida under Florida state law can get paid. Um, now, why are conferences going to need to abide by this? Because just the way that college sports are set up, you have uh, some SEC schools that are in Florida. You have some ACC schools that are in Florida. So you kind of need to get the conferences on board. And I'm, I'm sure there's a number of other conferences that have, have Florida-based schools that, you know, mm-hmm. up and down the NCAA, Division Two, II, Division III. Um, so you need to kind of have everybody on the same page. Uh, and you don't necessarily get a decision that quickly, even though you have uh, maybe March 31st oral arguments in the case. There's a world where the laws that apply uh, nationally are going to be different than the laws that apply in, in Florida. So, um, you know, in this lovely concept of law called federalism, states can do whatever they want until there is a national law, uh, a federal law that basically tells them that they can't do something. So that's why all the conferences have to get on board. Um, if there's a world, and I, you know, I just say that's, you know, it's pretty apparent. But if Florida can get their athletes paid, and other states can, you know, can't get their athletes yeah. paid, mm-hmm. there is a decisive and and really clear advantage to going to a Miami or to a Florida State or to a Florida Gulf Coast or, or any number of those schools down the line. So that's why conferences need to get on board, um, and you know. Uh, non-conference schedules, anything under the sun, you know, that, that comes into play. So conferences need to kind of get their ducks in a row uh, and make sure they're on the same page because they're going to be pushing the envelope to try to get the Supreme Court to make a decision that maybe bails them out of this Florida scenario. Timing's going to be a little tight. Um, so, yeah, but that's that's why conferences need to be involved. And that's why all athletes across the country, high school, uh, college, especially with the transfer portal, uh, fully open now. Um, mm-hmm. That's why everyone's paying attention to this. Um, I guess the last thing that I, I want to ask you at this point is what really is legitimately at stake if it's found that the NCA has violated antitrust law and has engaged in monopolistic business practices? Right. So what's not on the table here is like just pure cash payments. What's on the what's on the table for purpose of its decision is the ability for athletes to make additional, you know, I guess, reimbursements, expenses um, that are related to school. So people have always kind of said uh, at a high level, why are athletes and athletes alone prevented from, you know, making un- uncapped uh, money off of their name, image, and likeness? So what this case deals with is expenses um, and different academic awards that, that uh, students can make. And, and basically, we, uh, it's, it's not a world where you could get paid which maybe is the conversation that we have on the table uh, in maybe a couple months, couple of years. Um, but for uh, basically, you know, uh, someone to be handed, uh, and we, you and I didn't speak about this, but uh, to do what happened at the University of Tennessee, to literally just be handing kids money right. in McDonald's bags, which is not what happened, but allegedly what happened at the University of Tennessee. Uh, separate uh, legal argument that I've uh, spoke about in different networks. But that's, um, that's the, you know, that's, um, if you have an uncapped market, uh, in a pure competitive market, you can have those conversations. So this is a, um, we're, we're chipping away at the antitrust challenges. This is not the challenge that basically says, 
um, anybody and anybody can get paid a certain amount of money to attend schools, right? A pure competitive market. Dave, like, here's a great example so people understand antitrust, which uh, my antitrust law professor gave me back in the day, which has always stuck with me. If I'm the top engineer in the country and uh, I graduate, let's say I graduate from Harvard University, I'm the top engineer in the world. And uh, I'm looking at all these different, uh, you know, engineering companies to go to, be it uh, Coca-Cola or, you know, maybe I want to go work for the NFL. And I get a letter in the mail says, Dan, you've been drafted by Ikea. Um, you're going to work for Ikea. And here's the salary that you're going to make from Ikea. And you have no other options, right? You can not be an engineer, right? Because right. this is, or, or you can go work for Ikea. Um, the the world, the country that we live in, the United States, doesn't allow, um, uh, that really doesn't allow that practice of antitrust, uh, where uh, you can basically be forced to go to a certain market and not you know, be, go to the highest bidder, so to speak. That's what a pure competitive market is supposed to do. Um, when you talk about college sports, obviously you have free will. You're not really drafted in the college sports world. There's um, different antitrust uh, exceptions that are in professional sports that allow us to have a draft, allow us to do any number of things. But college sports, you you don't get paid for your services, right? And, and maybe Zion Williamson, maybe he would go to a different school and not Duke, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, if he could be paid an unlimited amount of money. Um, but just the way the NCAA sports, NCAA doesn't allow that. Why doesn't the NCAA allow that? Because there is no other show in town. The NCAA gets to make the rules. So people have said for years that this is unfair, that this is unfair, that only college athletes can't make that decision. Um, and only college athletes lose their um, you know, eligibility if they uh, are not, you know, if they, you know, God forbid, speak with a, an agent or a financial planner to help them maximize their value. So that's, that's what's on the table. So I guess what, what um, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. You know, the NCA has lost this case um, at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Right. Uh, so they're they're challenging this. Right. And it's I don't know, it's like it's a very limited it's uh, they want to be able to kind of cap and basically say you're only entitled to your scholarship. You're not entitled to anything else. Now, there's a world where the NCA, um, you know, they're appealing this and they're hoping they, they could just get this. Uh, you know, they could just have only athletes get their pure scholarship, which. I don't know. It's not that different than what we have now. There's a world that they take it to the Supreme Court and um, we have a conservative bench, six to three. uh, And we have judges that we don't know how they're going to decide on college sports because there aren't that many college sports cases. And they come down and they say, well, we actually think that the NCAA as a student, you know, as a college organization and they're protecting student athletes rights. We think that they should get a full antitrust prevention to do whatever they want as long as we think it's in the benefit of college athletes. That's also on the table, right? That's why the NCAA is challenging it because maybe they have a small loss, right? They're not really that concerned, right, if they keep the status quo, but they're going for a really big win. And why is the NCAA challenging this? Dave, the conversation that you and I have had, I know a lot of times on on your show and obviously on on Twitter, the world is kind of closing in on the NCAA from the state level. There's uh, federal bills that are being proposed. But if the Supreme Court comes in and they say, listen, we think that, uh, that, that really there should be an antitrust level uh, exemption for all of college sports, there's not really much the legislators can do about it. That's why you have three separate branches of government, the legislative, the judicial, and the obviously executive branch. So they're going for a home run here. Um, you know, by, by, you can't count on it because obviously they lost at the first, you know, at, at the, at the uh, circuit court level in Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. But that's on the table. So that's, that's what they're going for in these briefs that basically dicta that various judges, and, and when I say dicta, that's just a secondary language that judges have said over the years. They're saying we should get a full antitrust exemption. Obviously, we lost a little bit, but we think that this should be the law of the land for any and all college cases that come to any courts across the state. And uh, I guess kind of one final note, just the way our courts are set up, I, we consider the Supreme Court's the highest law of the land. 
Um, but the Supreme Court is a national court, right? It's the right. Circuit Court of Appeals is uh, various states. The, there's a number of circuit courts in the country, and then there's obviously there's state courts. Um, so if, if the Supreme Court says something, all courts in the country have to abide by that. So yes, there's, there's, it's a very kind of, it's not, it's not, uh, this is not, what's not on trial is paying college athletes anything and everything necessarily. Um, but this antitrust exemption is on the table and that's what the NCAA is going for. That's why this case uh, could be very worrisome to all the progress that's being made uh, for college athlete uh, empowerment. Um, you know, that, that is very much at risk by this case going up to the Supreme Court. Um, and their desire to take this case uh, is also very rare. There have been cases that have been petitioned to go to the Supreme Court uh, for a number of years. It's the first one in almost about 40 years that they've agreed to take. So um, you might, there's a world where you should be very concerned if you're one that wants college athletes to be paid that they're taking this case in this case in particular. Could the upside of that be really quickly um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that if this case is overturned, that business interests, people who see the profitability of student athletes, like these, some of these leagues that are starting to pop up, they now have something that galvanizes these athletes in this decision. And they can say to that elite group, the ones who go to those power five schools that are most likely to put the money on the table, they can go to those five-star and four-star recruits now and say, they're never going to let you make money. Here's our money. Like, and we talked about this with the XFL. Now you have this an impetus to make that movement and maybe have these types of challenges in a real business manner rather than having to go and try to reconstruct the NCAA model. Yeah, that that would be the concern, um, and I, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head. I, 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 as someone that's in support of athletes getting paid, you know, I, I try to be pretty vocal about. It. I don't I don't see why not. No one's given me a, a real reason. I, I love all the progress that's being made in in the state and the federal legislature. Like every everything seems to be going well. The Supreme Court, because it's a separate entity, um, you know, they can make a law, and the, the judges make the law. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how this works. I'd rather them stay out of it because I'm watching how the legislators are going and the legislators are elected officials. This paying college athletes seems to be something that everyone is in support of. So we're making really good strides there. This could be undone by the courts coming in and um, and basically saying that the, the, the NCAA should have a full antitrust exemption. And there's really not, not that much that could be done. Obviously, you know, um, you could try to uh, try to challenge what the judge has done, but they, those guys are the the lawmakers of the land. I mean, they, they get to make that, that final call. So you'd almost have rather they didn't take the Supreme court case if you're, you're on, on that, on that board. So, um, you know, to, to your point where this kind of goes, if the, uh, if there's a full antitrust exemption, right? Like, uh, I guess we'll put it, we'll contextualize it. Right. I'm envisioning a world with maybe, maybe I'm like grass half greener. I would love a world where athletes could get paid an ungodly amount of money to, to be in college for four years, right? Back in the mm-hmm. day, like we had Tim Duncan going to Wake Forest or any, any number of guys just playing for three, four years. I think that improves the product in college basketball, makes March Madness better. I would love to see that. Now, I, I think we're getting potentially closer to that world if we can pay college athletes. If we come down with an antitrust exemption, and, and to your point, Dave, if they basically say, this is the college basketball incident as it exists today, where you cannot get any money and you can have, um, I bring up Zion again, just because he had his big mm-hmm. case with Gina Ford, which you, know, you and I didn't speak about, but a, a big win for Zion recently. Um, but you could be criminalized by, God forbid, talking to an agent or a financial planner to help make you more money, even in your career as a professional, which is what Zion did. He wasn't making money as a, uh, you know, at least as far as we know, as a, as a college yeah. student. Um, but if you're going to continue to criminalize that for the end of time, right, baseball has an antitrust exemption and they're going to have it forever unless something crazy happens. Um, 
that's going to hurt, I, I think, college basketball because guys are going to go to the G League. They're going to pull an RJ Hampton. They're going to pull a mellow ball. They don't need college sports. So, um, you know, that's that's a little bit my concern um, that, uh, you know, we, we kind of lose all hope um, if, if that does occur. And I, I think that's uh, it's, it's on, in the cards. I mean, you can have a guy just like we saw with Kate Cunningham, right? Top yeah. college, uh, college basketball player. He's not going to be playing in March Madness. Um, you know, obviously Oklahoma State has their their bowl uh, or not bowl, but their their postseason prohibitions. Kate Cunningham could have opted out uh, and gone to gone to the pros, gone to the G League, gone you know not the pros pros, but the G League because he has to wait a year. Um, but this archaic system of the NCA is you know everyone wants it to be changed and we're tolerating it because we see this on the horizon, and that's you know I think a really good sign. And I alluded to it before why NCA football the video game is probably coming back because they're seeing these changes happening. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that could be all undone if the Supreme Court, um, you know, wants to, uh, uh, let's say, let's say they want, they want to uh, make, maintain the status quo and, and really get rid of, um, you know, any, uh, we'll say, light at the end of the tunnel for NCAA athletes and the future of, of student athletes for your, your kids and my kids, Dave, who hopefully are, are top-level college athletes someday. Yeah, the, um, I, I, my daughter, man, she, I would just hate to see any opportunity for any kid. Um, to just like you said, to some of this is just preparation for life. Those type of things, like just just the ability to talk to people with experience, the ability. I mean, we're we're allowed to take on these loans as as regular students. Yet I can't take on a loan as a student athlete from an agent on my potential. It's the same thing. The government's betting on my potential to graduate and go earn a living. So that's what that agent is betting on. So I mean, you're right. It's just the hypocrisy there is just so difficult to to, to rationalize. Hopefully this doesn't get undone um, by what happens. Uh, like you said, the oral argument is starting March 31st. Um, so that will be interesting to see. And I, I, I'm interested to see what, what comes out in these briefs um, and, and, and how they prepare uh, for this. Uh, anything as you, you want to close on or think, I, I think we covered it. Yeah. You know, I, I think we covered everything. I, I think I don't want to scare people, but I just no. want to just put this on people's radars that is it's really exciting for you know me as a lawyer that the Supreme Court's taking up a college sports case. Um, but there is a world where um, we're not as you know, maybe maybe my, my personal uh, opinion is not so that uh, doesn't love the result, but it's on the table. So that's March 31st. Um, you know, we're, we're going to learn more as that date gets closer. But, you know, the the. You know, I don't say it just to say it. The future of college sports really is in the balance. Yes, this is this is when you talk about landmark decisions. This will be the definition of a landmark decision. Uh, Dan, tell them how they can 100%. follow you. How they can follow you and uh, what you got coming up soon. Yeah. Yes. So I, I'm on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Sports Law Lust for the professionals. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn if you prefer that for whatever reason at, at Dan Lust ESQ on on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to be on a couple uh, more shows over the next couple weeks um, on this NCA topic, as, as one can imagine. So just stay tuned to my feeds. And then uh, I'm going to be speaking, um, I'm not sure the exact dates offhand, but Union College, my alma mater, I'm speaking there next week. Uh, I'm speaking at uh, Iowa Law School, Nebraska Law School, and Pepperdine Law School all in the next couple of weeks. So right. those are usually usually open to the public. So I try to put the Zoom link up do. ahead of time if anybody likes to to watch those. It's free to attend. Um and I try to keep it a little bit funny, a little funny. And he does. It does. His feed is entertaining. It's, like I said, again, the, the one of the things that I enjoy about our conversations always is that they're accessible, um, they're informative, and I think people walk away from this. Um, 
like I said, it's not about agreeing necessarily with us, but you you are informed as to the consequences, the potential outcomes, and and that's what I want to give people. Yes, all good, Dave. Dave, always a pleasure. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always happy to come on and break this down with you. Thanks so much, man. Talk to you soon. Uh, for Dan Lewis, I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Our Debate.